So you are nearing the end. You are almost done. It's almost finished. It is almost completed. Like sometimes you hear those words and there's different emotions that you might feel. For instance, you might feel happy just hearing those words. Maybe you are running some sort of race. Like maybe someone else signed you up for this race. You didn't want to run it anyway. But like you can see the finish line. Your body has no energy left whatsoever. And knowing that is the end, like you are just so excited because you are almost done. Or maybe you're sitting in on a class that let's just say is a little less than exciting. (laughs) And you kind of keep watching your watch and you're like, okay, it feels like five minutes and 30 seconds have gone by. And like you're told it is almost the end of the class. And so you begin to feel excited about that. Or you could turn it the other way because teachers, you too have been part of those classes when it seems like no students are paying attention and maybe the subject that day is a little bit harder to teach and you're just ready for the end of that class and you're almost there so you can just feel the excitement that comes with that. Maybe there's a house project that you started and it has taken just a little bit longer than you originally thought. And so finally, when you step back, you're like, it is done. And just the excitement and satisfaction that you feel, or maybe it's your weekly chores. And so you've almost got those done so you can go and do whatever you want. Or maybe you're moving. Oh, like all the details involved on the front side and then the actual moving. And then even when you get boxes there, you're not done yet because those boxes need to go somewhere and become unpacked and decorating. And so when you're finally done, just the, it is completed. Or maybe you could just insert any kind of struggle that you're going through and it's like, ah, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Just knowing that is done, it makes you feel a certain way that you are glad that whatever it is that you went through is now done. Sometimes something coming to an end can also be disappointing. Like maybe you're on that vacation. You're like, I do not want to go back to real life. Like I'm enjoying what's going on. The responsibilities aren't here. Like you are just loving that aspect. Or maybe you're at like a kid's camp or a high school CIY kind of thing. And God has been moving in big ways. And you're like, I don't want to go back. Like what's going on right now? I am loving the things that God has been teaching me in this moment. Or maybe you have spent years playing some sort of sport or singing in, you know, the choir or playing in the band or the orchestra, or you've been part of drama productions, and now you're a senior, and you know that's something you're not going to be doing in college, and there's a little bit of sadness that this is my last performance. You know, maybe you've been watching a television series, and not like binge watching it, but one that takes you seven years, and you've connected to the characters, and you know that it's the end of the season, and it's a little bit sad knowing that it's coming to an end. And so we have been studying Colossians since Easter, and today we are coming to an end, and I don't know if that makes you feel excited. I don't know if that like bums you out a little bit. If that's you, you can go back and read it again. It's still in God's word, okay? But like we are studying this for so many weeks, and we're coming to an end. And so if you have your Bibles or devices, open up to Colossians chapter 4. And as we've been looking in this, as we've been dividing it up in section by section, this overarching theme that Jesus is enough is what we continue to hear You know, you don't have to hold on to past traditions. You don't have to like accept the things that culture is trying to tell you. This is what you need. Jesus is enough and he has come in and he has saved you and he has made you new. The old self is gone. You are now living in the grace of Jesus. And so because of that, there are ways that we ought to respond to him. This gift that he has given us, we want to live in certain ways. And last week as Nick was preaching, you know, he talked about this way that we ought to speak, um, you know, full of grace, seasoned with salt, and then also just looked at this idea of prayer. And in that section on prayer, Paul had said, pray for us. 
And he even mentioned that next week we're going to look at the us. And so that's what we're doing here. In this final greetings, like Paul gives some different people that here's who I want to address or here's some messages from some individuals that I want to pass along. And so that's what we're going to look at here. So we're going to jump into our text in Colossians chapter 4, starting at verse 7, going to read through verse 18. And so here's where we go. Tychicus, and I'm going to stop right there. Like I know we have a whole bunch more verses. If your parents... And you have kids that you think might get written in scripture that people are going to read for thousands of years. Can you name your kids like John or James, Matthew, you know, that would really be helpful. But anyway, Tychicus. Okay, so we're getting back to scripture. Here we go. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. It says, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him, and if he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. And there are only, or these are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. It says, I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And after this letter has been read to you, see to it that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And what I want to do is, as we just read that text, I want to look at some of those names. Because if you don't understand who they are, it's kind of like one of those things where you just hear someone like, okay, that's cool. It's a person. Like, I remember moving here to Kansas, having lived my whole life in southwest Missouri. I knew all the towns around there, moved here, and people are saying all these cities. I'm like, I don't know where that is. Like, and eventually you begin to learn at least a name, but you don't know anything about them until you're there. And then there's a connection. And so I want there to be a connection with some of these names that you understand why Paul wrote them down, how they are important important to him. And so first off, we'll go back to that guy named Tychicus. All right. And as Paul wrote about him, he says, he is a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. And what you need to know about Tychicus is he was given the responsibility of bringing this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. Like, I'm entrusting you. Take this to them because he can't. He's still in jail. I'm entrusting you to take this letter to them. It's not the only time that happens. In fact, the letter to the Ephesian church was also brought by Tychicus. If you were to read in Titus, there's even a section where Paul says, I'm either going to send this guy or Tychicus to you. One of these two guys I'm going to send to you. So can you imagine being trusted by Paul that you are the one to deliver these messages? These messages that Paul says is meant to encourage you. It's meant to tell you about what is going on with me. But not only that, we also know that 
that he traveled with Paul. In fact, there's these things called the missionary journeys, if you've never heard of them. But throughout the book of Acts, Paul is traveling and he starts churches. He goes and encourages churches. And as he does those, sometimes he starts and then comes back to the original spot. And so he makes three different trips. And then a fourth one, he's kind of taken as captive and eventually, you know, as prisoner to Rome. But for three times, he's going around doing these things. And on the third missionary journey, Tychicus is right there with Paul, preaching, encouraging, ministering with him. And so when we read this name, it's not just a name he pulled out of a hat. It's someone who is there serving alongside of him. But in that exact same paragraph, there's a man named Onesimus. All right. And Onesimus is described as a faithful and dear brother who is one of you. So what you need to know, if you've never heard of Onesimus before, he is from Colossae. All right. He is from Colossae, but we actually learn more about him from the book of Philemon. Like, I would encourage you, if you haven't read Philemon in quite a while, it is one chapter. Read that later today because it connects highly to this. Because Onesimus was a runaway slave. Like, he got out of there. He was a servant of a man named Philemon. And that whole letter of Philemon is Paul writing to him saying, hey, you need to accept Onesimus back. Like, I'm sending him back to you. And he tells him, I don't want you to punish him. Like while he's here, he's come to know about Jesus. And he, when, when you accept him back, I want you to accept him as a brother. And he says, if he owes you anything, I want you basically to charge it to my account. I will make sure that you are repaid for anything that you lost because he ran away. But then he reminds Philemon, he says, but remember that you owe me your life. Essentially, you heard the message of Christ and you put your faith in him. And so you, you essentially owe me your life by hearing this truth. So if you still want to charge Onesimus, you can. But remember what God's bigger plan is here. And so we read about Onesimus that him and Tychicus, that's his name, are coming back to Colossae with the message. Here is what you need to know. And so those are two people that we read about here. Then we continue on in the next paragraph, and there's this guy named Aristarchus, who's simply described as a fellow prisoner. If you go to the book of Philemon, you see his name again, and he's described as a fellow worker. You also learn in the book of Acts that he's from Thessalonica. He's traveling with Paul, and there's even this one instance in Ephesus where there's a huge riot, and Aristarchus is one of the guys who is brought down in front, and people are yelling at him all day long, and finally the chief magistrate tells everyone, you guys need to leave. Like before anything else happens, everyone just leave. And that doesn't scare Aristarchus away. He continues to travel with Paul, even up to the point that he's in Rome. And he is faithful to this guy. He is like, I am there for you, Paul. And so here is Aristarchus. We read about a guy named Mark. That in this text, it just says, he's the cousin of Barnabas. All right, so Barnabas, you may remember back in Acts chapter 4, when the church is relatively new, they're meeting each other's needs, he has this plot of land and he sells it. And then he donates all the money to the church. It's like, I care about the individuals here. And so that's what he does. His heart is in the right place. But there's these other people that maybe you've heard about named Ananias and Sapphira. And they see what Barnabas does, but they also see what people think of him. Man, his heart is in the right place. He's an amazing guy. So they're like, oh, we've got this plot of land. Why don't we sell it and give the money to the church too? So they do, except they don't give all the money to the church. Now that's not wrong. Like sometimes God can place on your heart, hey, why don't you give this much money to the church? You can use this other for whatever. But the problem is they tell everyone that was the entire amount. And so they want the praise that Barnabas gets. And so they're telling people, yes, this is the amount. In fact, each of them individually, like Ananias and Sapphira, are standing you know, before the church. And they're like, yes, this is the amount of money. And God says, like, why did you try to lie to me? And they're both struck down dead. 
But Barnabas, his heart was in the right place. We also read about um, uh, Mark's name, uh, Mark's mother's name was Mary, okay, which may not mean a whole lot to you, but also in the book of Acts, there's a time that Peter's in jail, and he is planned to be executed the next day. He's sleeping in the middle of the night, and an angel is sent, and so it opens the door, like Paul walks out, walks down the street, and at the end of the road, he finally realizes this isn't just a vision, this is what's going on, and when the angel leaves him, he goes to a house where all the believers are praying, and that's the house of Mary, who is the mother of Mark. Okay, and again, we may know him as John Mark. You also may know that Mark is the one who wrote the second gospel that we have, Matthew, Mark. And so he's the one that wrote that. In fact, at the very end, when Jesus is being seized, there's this little itty bitty section that he includes himself. It says there was this young man who was there that they tried to seize him. And basically he ran out of his cloak and he runs away naked. He doesn't write his name, but he tells about himself. Most people think that is him, that he was there. And so Mark was even with Jesus there at the end, but that's who Mark is. One thing though about Mark is he was with Paul and Barnabas on their very first missionary journey. As they're going around starting and encouraging churches, he is there with them. And we don't know what it is, but at some point on that trip, he said, I'm out. He said, I'm gone. And he goes back. And so again, we don't know the reason why, but Paul and Barnabas finished that first missionary journey. And when it is time to start the second journey, there's a pretty big argument between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas really wants to bring Mark again. Paul's like, nah, like he left us. I don't want him there. Like he hasn't proved himself to us. And so that split is big enough that they actually take a different partner. So Barnabas goes with, with Mark and then Paul takes a man named Silas and they go out. And so God uses it, but this big deal about Mark, like it really hurt Paul. And yet there must've been some sort of healing that happened over 10 years. Because here we have where uh, Paul is mentioning that he is working alongside of him. In Philemon, Paul actually mentions that Mark is a fellow worker. And what's probably the coolest verse is in 2 Timothy, which is the last letter that we know that Paul wrote to a church here. He says this, he says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Like even in Colossians, right after it said, Mark, you know, is coming, he said, if you, you've read, you have received instructions about him, and so if he comes, make sure you welcome him. Like Paul is saying, man, everything has been forgiven. There are no hard feelings. And so that's who this man named Mark is, that they have worked through some things, and they're still working for the greater cause of ministry. There's a man named Jesus who's called Justice in our text, I'll tell you that nothing else is known about him, <laughs> like he's never mentioned anywhere else other than he was a Jew and he's been converted to Christianity. And Paul, even right after that, says, hey, these last three guys, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus called Justice, these three guys are the only Jews who are still alongside of me now. Again, that doesn't mean that others weren't faithfully helping him, but right now they are the ones who are here comforting me. And then we read about a man named Epaphras. Maybe you've heard that name before as we studied Colossians. He says uh, that he is one of you. He is a servant of Christ Jesus. He continues to pray for you. Pray that you will be in the will of God and pray that you will grow into maturity. Remember, that's what we said the goal was, that we would grow into maturity in Christ. And he says that he is not only praying for you, he is helping the big C church. Yes, the church there in Colossae, but also in Laodicea, also in Hierapolis. He wants people to know the message of God. 
And so again, I told you that that name may sound familiar because back when we started this letter, we, we concluded that most likely Epaphras is the one who started the church in Colossae, that he at one time had heard the message from Paul and he comes back to his hometown, to his people saying, this is what you need to know. This is the truth. And so that is who Epaphras is. I will tell you that he probably helped Paul while he's in prison somehow. Now, the reason I tell you that too is not only did he go and visit, but in uh, Philemon, he is described as a fellow prisoner. All right, so here we have fellow prisoner. Just a while ago, though, we read our Aristarchus is a fellow prisoner. More than likely, it doesn't mean that those two guys were in jail, but those two guys were coming alongside to help Paul while he was in jail. Because our prisons are a little bit different than they were back then, and they needed to make sure that their needs were being taken care of. And so there's a great chance that these two guys continually were right alongside of him, making sure that his needs were taken care of. So even while he's in jail, these guys are not abandoning him. We read about a guy named Luke, who simply in this text, it just says, he's a doctor. This Luke, who's a doctor, is also the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's also the one that wrote Acts. And we know that he traveled with Paul at certain times because there are we statements in the book of Acts. We went here, we did this. And so we know that he traveled with him at some point. In Philemon, he's described as a fellow worker. And even in 2 Timothy, that last letter that we have, he is still with him as he's in prison near the end. We read about a guy named Demas, right? It just says, Demas sends greetings to you. In Philemon, he's described as a fellow worker. One of the saddest verses, though, in the Bible is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because in this moment, Paul writes these words. He says, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Like, here's this guy that is a fellow worker and all this kind of stuff, but something happened that he loved this world. His heart began to be drawn to the things that are right in front of him instead of setting his mind on things above, and he has said, I'm done. Now, whether that's I'm done with Paul, whether that means I'm done with Jesus, not for sure, but it certainly sounds like his heart has just completely been turned on what Christ has to offer. And so here is Demas, at this point greeting, but eventually turns his back on Paul. Near the end of this letter, there's two people that Paul says, hey, I want to send greetings to. And he talks about this woman named Nympha, says, greet her. And we don't know anything more than she hosts the church. She has a house church that people are meeting there. Whether Paul ever had interactions outside of Colossae with her or just wants to encourage her because she's hosting this, we don't know, but he sends this greeting to her. I will tell you this, in case you are reading out of the King James Version or the American Standard Version, as I was reading that, yours maybe said something different because both of those translations actually translate Nympha to be a man instead of a female. Now, you might wonder why it all has to do where the accent mark is. Okay, it's not like some big change. It all has to do with an accent mark, and they feel that it actually was a man. But everyone else would say, nope, we believe that Nympha was a female, and it was meeting in her house. So I just want you to know that in case you're reading and you see this. It's not like some discrepancy. That's where it comes from. Then the last person that he talks about is Archippus. Okay? And in Philemon, Archippus is called a fellow soldier. In fact, most people will tell you that they think Archippus is either Philemon's son or his brother. Because in Philemon, Paul says, hey, Philemon, I'm writing this to you. Greet your wife and then greet Archippus. So it could be a son, it could be his brother. But in our text, it simply says, complete the work. Hey, Archippus, complete the work that God has given to you. And he's not doing it in a mean way. He's encouraging him. Hey, how would you like your name to be in Scripture twice? Once in a list and the other saying, hey, Andy, keep up the good work. 
Like, in, if he's like, you know, okay, I can do this. Like, an encouraging man, that's a great spot. But that's who Archippus is. It's just like, continue the work that God has given to you. So I get it. There's this section we just often read over real quickly. And again, names may not mean a whole lot. But Paul, in that last section, still in chapter four, said, hey, will you pray for us? I think it's important to be reminded that he is not doing this alone. He's not doing it alone. And this list isn't everyone he's ever served with. It's the people that are right alongside of him at this moment. In fact, even in this section, he is sending people out. He's sending people out. Even at the expense of his own comfort, he knows what is important. And I think that is really important for us because sometimes I think we can think that church or even community is all about our safety or it's all about our connection. It's all about our own comfort. When I look at Scripture, when I see the purpose of community, when I see the purpose of the church, it's not about your comfort. It's not about your safety. It is about the glory of God and the expansion of His kingdom. And so sometimes that means, man, my team, I'm going to send you off so that other people can hear about the Word of God. So let me just ask you, as I read all those names and kind of just looked at this, here's the question I want you to think about today. Who is your team? Like, who is your team? Now, this last week at CIY, um, at a gas station, I bought this fun little toy, and people were like, hey, are you going to wear this in the sermon? You really have to wear this in the sermon. I'm like, I have no idea where I'm going to wear it in the sermon. But I figured it out. So I'm going to pull out these fun little sunglasses that I bought. Some of you are jealous. $14.99. You can get them at a gas station if you travel out to, you know, western Kansas. But it was fun to go around seeing these. I can't see you very well right now. But in wearing this, like sometimes students were talking with me, and I'd be like, you know, they'd say, I played your game when you, you know, when I was little. And I'd say, thanks. Did you throw me into a whole bunch of holes? And they're like, yeah, we didn't try to. And all that kind of stuff. But wearing this, anytime you see Mario, he's with someone else in your own mind. Who is he with? Okay, Luigi. Like that is his brother. They are together. It is not just Mario. Now, sometimes you'll play a station where it's all by himself, but together they are trying to figure this thing out because they are a team. When we were at CIY, we were talking about the students. You realize that what you have around you right now can be part of your team. Like, yes, I get you may not know all 80 people, but there can be a handful of people that hear the ones that they encourage you, that you are vulnerable with, that you're like, this is what's going in life. May we help one another. So who is your team? Who helps you to grow? Who helps sharpen you? Who helps encourage you? Who's got your back? Who helps you to show Christ to other people? And even as I say that, who is your team right now? Because again, Paul could have mentioned all these other people that at one time were part of his team, but right now this is his team. And so for me, I could tell you about people in my past. I could tell you about my family. I could tell you about friends. I could tell you about coaches and teachers and youth coaches and pastors. In fact, as I was reading this, someone once said um, this idea that it takes a church to raise a disciple. It takes a church to raise a disciple. Think about the amount of people that God has placed in your life to bring you to the point that you are right now. It takes a church to raise a disciple. But right now, who's your team? So if I were to talk about my team, I would start off by telling you about my wife. Like the conversations we have that encourage each other, that sharpen each other, that we're praying together. She is part of my team. I would tell you about my accountability partner that we met for the last nine years or so, Tuesday mornings, 
coming off of a men's retreat, we're like, okay, this is something that God is placing on our heart that we need to encourage one another. So we ask each other, how is your relationship with God? How are you doing as a husband and as a father and in your place of work? And so we talk about those things. That is part of my team. I would tell you two friends specifically that were from college that we still connect with, even though one lives three and a half hours away and one lives in like Idaho. I have no idea how many hours that is. But like we pick up the phone call, the phone, and we'll start talking about, hey, how is your relationship with God? How is ministry going? How are you doing as a husband and a dad? What is difficult right now? What can I pray for? Those two guys are part of my team. Could I tell you that while I've been here for 10 and a half years, my team were the youth coaches, Together, we had this purpose that we were going to share the love of Jesus with students and then their families, and how could we do this? And so I tell you that because even in that, man, when something was going on or I needed help, you know who I'd reached out to? Often it was the youth coaches. We'd have text threads of, hey, this is what's going on. Will you pray for me? Because they were my team. And I don't mean that by like over them. They were my team that we were together. I would tell you right now, part of my team is the staff. And it's been that way ever since I came, staff right now, staff who have been here before. But again, not just serving students, but then how do we lead this church together? Like showing people the love of God. That is part of my team that continues to encourage me and challenge me as we work together. I would tell you in the lead minister role, part of my team is the elders. And we're coming together and we are praying for God's wisdom, going, we can't lead this flock on our own strength and by our own wisdom. So God, will you give us wisdom? Will you help us to see what we need to see? Will you help us as we lead? That's part of my team. And I would tell you, there's a lot of people who are part of my team as far as we're doing smaller projects or we meet once every other month or whatever for me to encourage or for me to be poured into. And so those different relationships are part of my team. And I basically tell you that because I want you to think about who is your team because you have to have one. Like even when Paul was writing this letter, it's not to an individual, it's to a group of people that you have to come alongside with. How committed to your team are you? And how committed are they to your team? Do you guys focus on the real needs? Let me ask this. When you're talking about your team, maybe you have this picture of what it looks like, but there are going to be people that look like you as part of your team. There will also be people who are not like you that are part of your team. There will be people that, pe- that God places in your life for a certain amount of time that they are part of your team, but then one of you may go off somewhere else, like to another part of the country or whatever. There also will be people that will be part of your team for the rest of your life. There are probably people that are part of your team that at one point, either you hurt them or they hurt you, and forgiveness had to happen, just like it was with Mark and Paul. Or there might even be a spot that right now, you and them are not on good terms, and five years you're going to look back and go, God, how did you do this? But it was all by his power. I'll also tell you that there are probably people part of your team right now that won't be someday because they'll turn their back on you. And they'll turn their back on God. That doesn't give us license not to have a team, but just knowing the truth that, man, that world is going to pull away at anyone they can. And so going back to this idea of your team, if you looked at other people, could you say they are a fellow soldier? They are a dear brother or sister. They are faithful. Or if you looked in a mirror, could you describe yourself that way? That you're a fellow soldier. That you are a dear brother or sister. That you are faithful. God wants us to be part of a team. I will tell you at the very end of this, Paul writes this idea that you need to remember my chains. 
He's not talking about figurative chains that we sang about or even that, you know, Nick mentioned or even at CIY we picked up these chains that like we sometimes bind ourselves with things when we go back to those things that God has freed us from, but it's like, oh, but I'm safe or I'm secure in this or this is what I know. No, these are literal chains as he is in prison for the gospel. And I might remind you that when you follow a suffering Messiah, life won't always be easy. When you follow a suffering Messiah, man, they did this to him. He loved people. He spoke with grace and truth. They didn't love him, not everyone. And so life is not promised to be easy for you, but Paul is still saying, persevere. You can do this. I will tell you, the main way we do it is keeping our eyes focused on him, but it is so much easier when you have that team to encourage you as well. And how he ends the letter is the way he started it. He says, grace be with you. That saving grace that you got to experience, that grace that you live in each and every day that you wake up and you are swimming around in that lemonade that Nick mentioned last week, like that is how you should live. And when you do, you will experience the life that God wants you to live. So to the people in Colossae, he said, Jesus is enough. Live in him. And today, as we finish up Colossians, may we be reminded that Jesus is still enough. And may we live in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. God, I thank you for this letter that we've gotten to dive into a little bit deeper and look at. Man, your words, they are still living and active. God, they give us hope. They give us instruction. They bring peace and joy and purpose. But it's not just the words. It's all because it points back to you. And Father, the grace you have given us. God, may we live in that. Like We do not deserve this gift of being with you for eternal life. And we stop and thank you for that. Father, I pray this week that maybe we'd be able to encourage those who are part of our team. God, help us maybe to think about that and become better, quote, teammates. Father, help us as we just live this life for your honor and your glory. And so we lift you up and give you praise. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.